Father, we do lift up that uh, time with the uh, junior high. And Lord, I, I just pray that it would be, it would be a good time. Uh, but more importantly, Lord, it'd be a fruitful time in their lives. Touch those young hearts and bless all the adults going, Lord. Give them strength and stamina and just let it, be a, let it be a phenomenal time. When they come back Saturday, I pray they would have some great things to share and, and to tell their, their parents and us. And I do pray, Lord, I know it's just like one night, but I pray parents could get some new kids back. And, and not different kids, but the same kids, but new and that, Lord, that, again, it would be just such a joy. And as we look at your word tonight and, and kind of continue the idea, I know we started a while back, continue the whole idea of warfare and what we're involved in, I pray, I pray, God, that you would speak to each one of us, you would touch our hearts, and, and Lord, that we would realize how real this is. Lord, it's not always just demons behind bushes, but things that go on in our lives and things that we allow to to uh, just sidetrack us and mess us up. Lord, I pray that we would understand. God, a lot of that is coming from the attack of the enemy. So bless this time. And again, give us discernment. Give us hearts that are pliable and willing to change. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it has been a while uh, since we've been back in Ephesians. I know uh, I was gone one Thursday, then we had uh, the Good Thursday service, so it's been a while. But remember, we're talking about warfare, and Paul is telling us that this is a real thing. And again, I think sometimes, sometimes I think we, we think of warfare as, you know, the mystical stuff or kind of the out there stuff. And, you know, I got, a, you know, the, the movie The Exorcist and head spinning and people puking green stuff and, and all of that. Listen, it's not so much that. I think the majority of our warfare is right here. And I think a lot of the times it's the little things in life that just happen and you're like, and you kind of start getting to that place. So keep that in mind. So we're going to learn, we're going to learn, I hope we're going to learn how to win the battle. And listen, I don't think we're going to win every battle, but I want us to understand that and I want us to be people that, man, we're familiar with the schemes of the enemy. If you remember a few weeks ago when we looked at it, he says, listen, man, we don't fight against flesh and blood. And how many of us get caught up in that whole arena where we're going against somebody and we start, you know, bickering and, and anger and stuff starts going on? That's not the warfare, man. Our warfare is against principalities and powers and, the, you know, the, the, the princes of darkness. So keep that in mind, again, when we're fighting and doing those things. So Paul has told us three times that we need to stand. So here's what I think. We need to stand, right? And listen, as he's telling us that, he's not talking about just, you know, stand up. When he's talking about that, he says you need to take a stand like a soldier takes a stand when they're ready for combat and they're ready for battle. Remember, he's not talking so much. Today, a lot of our warfare is done on screens, kind of sad, you know, listen, it's a lot easier to kill somebody on a screen than do it face to face. But even, you know, even, you know, the generation, we, we use weapons, we use guns and different things. These guys, most of their warfare was hand-to-hand -hand combat, up close and personal. And when you're doing hand-to-hand -hand combat, your stance is extremely important. And I do want to remind us, more than likely, Paul is chained to a Roman soldier, 
Remember, he's in prison writing this. So he's got this perfect illustration standing there. And I, I kind of get this. This is where my mind goes. I kind of get the idea that Paul goes, could you turn a little bit? Because I'm trying to, trying to get a picture of this stuff, trying to talk about this stuff. But he's telling us we need to stand. He's told us three times. And then verse 14 starts this way. Stand, therefore. So again, I think we need to pay attention to that. And we need to be people, man, I am going to be immovable in my faith in Jesus Christ, in my walk with Jesus Christ. I, you know, I've said it uh, several times. I'm concerned about this generation we're living in as believers and what is going on, you know, in the church at large, but maybe more importantly in the church, at least in America, in the culture, in the place that I live in, I'm extremely concerned. And one of the reasons is, People are not taking stands. They're not standing. They're caving. And I believe all of us deal with this thing called doubt at different times. Something creeps in and causes us to doubt. And I've shared, if you've been with our church very long, I've shared several times. There's an old, old book uh, written by George Verwer, and it's talking about the Christian life. And I'm trying to remember the title. I can't remember the title. But the one chapter that I remember is, uh, distinctly is the discipline of doubt. And I love the idea. I love the way he put it because he says, hey, we all come up with doubts. Doubts kind of come our way. And so what do you do with the doubt? And he says, when that doubt drives you closer to Jesus, that's a good thing. And to me, that's taking that stand. Hey, I have a doubt, but I know what's true, and we'll get to that in a moment. I'm going to go back to that. I'm not going to cave to the doubt. I'm not going to give in to the doubt. It's going to push me closer to Jesus. Now, having said that, though, we're in a culture right now, and I don't know how much you guys, you know, check things out or look at things, but man, Christianity, and again, not, not, don't, don't look at what's going on from the world. Christianity is in, in a major, major battle from within, not from without. Usually, as, as a church, we lose more ground from within the church than the attacks from without. Usually the attacks from without are very blatant. They're coming at you. You see them. You're going after them. But man, those subtle things that come in. And right now, man, right now, I think, again, I think we're blessed. We live in a time with the internet. We have instant con uh, communication. You know, and again, I've said, you can get teaching from all over the world. Whoever, whoever you like is a teacher, man. You can listen to them 10 times a day. You can carry them around in your pocket. You can do all those things. That's good. Uh, but also, all the false stuff going on out there is creeping into the church big time. And there's this whole idea of people not taking a stand in what they believe. Again, I'm not so talking about taking a stand against the world. I'm talking about standing in what you believe and not caving to peer pressure, not caving to people who sound so intellectual. And, you know, even some that you look up to, you're going, why did they just say that? And so we have this issue going on, and something that bothers me is some of these people will tell those they're teaching, you don't question what I'm teaching. Man, if anybody says that to you, you need to get out of that church or out of that teaching or off of that podcast or whatever. You know, you need to run from that. Anybody should be able to be questioned. 
And if you can't take somebody questioning what you're doing, you know, I always feel like if I couldn't take somebody coming up and, you know, sometimes people come up to me and like I've said stupid things. Sometimes I said bizarre. Someone get, a few times people come up and they go, do you know you said that? I go, no. And they go, you want to play the tape? I go, not really. <laughs> but sometimes stuff comes out and you just don't mean it or sometimes it's heard wrong. So that goes on. So it's dialogue is good. There's nothing wrong with that. So you should be able to be questioned. But here Paul is saying, take the stand, and here's what I believe. Listen, I believe verse 14 starts with stand, therefore, and I think 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all telling us how to stand, okay? So kind of keep that in mind. Stand, and here's how you're gonna stand. And now he begins to describe the weapons we have. And once again, I've said it before, I think we should, I think we should probably stay dressed, but I think we should also, I think every day we should mentally go over these different weapons that God has given us and equipped us with for the warfare we have. Now having said that, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I emphasized that what we have been given, that this armor is the armor of God. This is extremely important because, and I know, hey, there's, there's godly teachers who completely disagree with me the way I'm going to lay this out. But I believe, listen, if it's God's armor, then God is the one who's going to work through me. So the first one we come up with is, he says, uh, stand therefore having girded your waist with the truth. Now, most of us, you know, we read that girding and all of that, and we got, I don't even understand that. Bottom line, here's what he's saying, man. You need to tighten things up. And again, in their culture, their generation, you know, men wore longer clothing, robe-like things. And when they got ready for battle, they had to kind of wad them up and pick them up and tuck them in their belt and tighten their belt. And, you know, even today, sometimes we'll say, tighten up that belt. And sometimes that means you need to go on a diet. But other times it might mean, listen, other times it means, come on, get ready, get going. So, Here's what he's saying, man, and here's what's kind of interesting. A lot of the other pieces are tied to the belt. So he says, listen, he says, gird yourself, and here's why I think it's so important. Gird your waist with truth. Oh. It's not just girding your waist. It's not just tightening something up. Get truth. Now, here's where some disagreement comes in. Some people teach that this truth in our lives is us having the loyalty and, and uh, standing with Jesus in, in loyalty and integrity. I, I believe that's true, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. Any of you guys perfect? If you are, could you sign my Bible after the service and let me know because I wanted to meet someone perfect. Here's the thing, if this depends on me always being loyal, always being a person of integrity, always doing the right thing, what's gonna happen when I fail? All of a sudden, I'm defenseless. My weapon's no good. I believe, listen, I believe the truth he's talking about is the truth of the word of God. And we need to gird, listen, we need to be bound up with the word of God. As I was studying this week, I was reading, do you know that Martin Luther memorized the Bible? I didn't know that. Memorized the Bible in Latin. Wow, that's, well, of course, for them, Latin was a little bit more of a, of a useful language, but 
I'll keep it there. You know, John Wesley memorized the whole New Testament. Hmm. Talk about people who are girding their, 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 their life with the word of God. That's important. I, I've shared with you guys before. I went years ago when I was first saved. I'd been saved, I think, a couple years. And we went up in the Wachukas on the backside of the Wachukas. There was a little place that used to, used to be a little logging area. And we met this older man, Mr. McIntyre was his name. And at that time, I think he was 94. And a couple of us went, and we just wanted to go talk to him. And that little place, I think it was called Sunrise, Sunshine, Sunrise, and it was a little Christian community that did some, some logging and stuff, believe it or not, in the Wachuca Mountains back in the day. But I remember him telling us his pastor had the whole New Testament memorized. And then talking to Mr. McIntyre, the thing that blew my mind, almost everything we talked about, what came out of his mouth was scripture. And it wasn't so much chapter and verse. It was just, it was just listen, it was just coming out of him. Why? Because he had put it in him. And then I think I've shared with you guys, this is kind of, this is me. He asked us, he, he goes, hey, you boys, because I was a boy then. He goes, hey, hey, you boys. He goes, do you think Jesus is coming soon? And here's what I thought, I gotta be honest. I thought, you know, he is for you for sure. You know, you're like 96, so more than, yeah, you just got, you know. And, uh, but meeting someone like that and sitting with someone like that, and you know, when we did, uh, when Gaynell and I first got saved and we went to a little church in Bisbee, there was an older guy there and he kind of just kept that church going. And then when some of us young people came who had just got saved and were walking with the Lord and we're on fire, I remember Mr. Orton didn't last too long. It was like a couple months and he was gone. But I was sitting and talking to him and he says, you know, Pat, I remember in this church, this was a church up in old Bisbee. He says, I remember when I was young. He says, this church people stood on the outside and listened through the windows because it was so full of people. And, man, and then again, the same with him, just, just, you know, just coming out of his mouth is scripture. That's girding yourself. And here's what's frightening to me today. There are so many believers who we are not in the word of God. We're not hiding the word of God in our heart. Listen, and I'm not saying you have to memorize everything. I know, I know there are those who like, gonna memorize like 10 verses a month or something. And you gotta do, but here's what I believe. If you read it and internalize it, it becomes part of you. And you start living the truth. Listen, and I do believe, listen, I do believe there's some validity to saying, hey, the truth is how you live. I get that. But it's only going to be as I get the truth in me and it's the word of God. Now there's this whole movement in the progressive Christianity movement that I'm trying to figure out. It's like knelling jello to the wall, these people. But then there's this whole thing, and listen carefully, there's this whole huge movement, at least in the United States, and it's called deconstruction. And it is big right now. And they will take a believer that has some doubts, and here's what they'll tell you. We need to deconstruct your belief system so you can reconstruct what we believe. Hmm. Sort of blows my mind. Now, listen, I understand doubts, but it kind of blows my mind. If you're doubting truth that's written and recorded for you, and you go to some, and it's a whole, listen, this is a whole segment of, of, of psychology now. There's a whole practice of deconstructionist. 
And these guys, that's, that's what they do. But here's what blows my mind. So you're gonna doubt the word of God and then you're gonna go to somebody and they're gonna tell you what to believe. That's a little weird to me. And they go, why would you fall for that? But it's huge. And I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but I mean it in a real way. It's really huge with millennials. And again, I'm not putting them down and I'm not trying to put them in a bed, but it's huge with them. And I think part of it is because there's a, you know, the younger generation is all about, man, hey, if I listen to a four-minute TED Talk, then I'm, a, then I'm a professional in whatever I just listened to. I know everything there is to know about it because I spent four minutes listening to it. And, you know, that's huge right now. So you and I, listen, you and I, you want to protect yourself against that? You better put on the belt of truth. And you better cinch it up, man, and it better be tight. You better be strong. I wrote down some passages. Here's a couple things. It's, they're all in John. I wrote down a couple things in John 8, 32. Jesus, what does Jesus say? Said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you all bound up and crazy. The truth will set you free. Hmm. Every time I read that, I think, I want to be free. I want that. And then he talks later on, well, and in, in later on in that same chapter, in chapter 8, he has that whole conversation with them about you're the son of the devil and he's the liar and he's the father of lies and he's your father. And then in John 17, though, he says, sanctify them. He's talking about the, the Lord uh, speaking to him. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Remember, as he's praying for the disciples, sanctify them by what? Truth. And your word is truth. And then later on, when he's before Pilate, one of my favorite scenes is Pilate goes, what is truth? And that's in John chapter 18. Now, if you want to find out what is truth, go read John chapter 18 for homework because Jesus kind of lays it out for him. But listen, that, that is truth. And you and I, are you girding yourself with that? Are you prepared for that? If somebody questions why you believe what you believe, can you answer them without just saying, well, I don't know, man. I've gone to church for 15 years, and that's just what I believe. Do you know why you believe it? And we need to be people. We can defend that, and we can gird ourselves. And, and I think 100% should come from Scripture. So he lays that out. Listen, I, I, I love it, man. So that's where everything starts, and I love the whole idea that a lot of this stuff, the breastplate we're going to really need to bounce attached to that, the shield's kind of attached to that, the sword's connected, you know, in a certain way. So, so, so much is connected to truth, and in our generation, we're drifting so far away. And even in reading this, a lot of people commentators put it on subjective truth rather than objective objective truth is the word of god subjective truth is how i feel about something do you guys ever like have mood swings you ever feel one way one day one you listen man that's that's subjective and and you're going to get in trouble walking with the lord through that so he says that we're going to get a long ways tonight we're going to do one verse maybe so listen, gird your waist with the truth, and then he says this, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Oh, oh, I just love reading that. I love thinking about that, man. Listen, I'm gonna put the breastplate of righteousness on. Now, I love Pilgrim's Progress. I love reading that. I think that's just a good, I love the way that, that I was going to say Paul Bunyan. John Bunyan, Paul's the guy with the ox, right? 
So I love the way he put it together and just his imagination. And, you know, that's one book I think you need to read in the Old English. I think, you know, you read it in the current translations, you kind of lose something. And, and I'm not an Old English guy, but you just kind of have to. But I do have to disagree with him in one part. Shock, shock. And he was real big even speaking about this. He said the breastplate just covered the front and not the back because we don't turn our backs on the enemy. I kind of understand that, you know, talking about it, but if you look at the Roman soldier that Paul was attached to, his breastplate went over his front and over his back. So I'm not so sure John is so correct theologically. I get what he's saying practically. We never turn our back on the enemy and we don't want to run from him, but I think he's a little bit too dogmatic about that. But listen, as we think about that and we think about this breastplate of righteousness, again, it's kind of, to me, it's interesting that there's, there's just this division that goes on amongst Bible scholars and Bible teachers. And again, they're talking about, is the truth subjective or objective, and I think, I think it's kind of both. I, ha- I have to say that, but more objective than subjective because there should be, you know, there should be fruit in your life from getting the truth in you. But then, is this righteousness your righteousness or God's righteousness, the righteousness of Christ? Which is it? Well, I kind of have a problem. If it's my righteousness, I'm not, I'm not always righteous, I do things, I did something last night that wasn't good. And I'm not gonna tell you what it was, it's none of your business. Well, I tried to race a guy. I wanted to speed, I wanted to race a guy, a Buffalo soldier. I won, just to let you know. So listen, at that moment, man, if it was my righteousness, I was naked. Because I was not being righteous. I did repent right away and ask God to forgive me and thank him that he didn't bring any police officers into my life. That I would have to explain to him. And I just, put, I just put the Calvary dove on my car. And I just went, let's go. This guy just, anyway, sorry. So, listen, this is, this is so I don't think this is our righteousness. And here's one reason why. I think if we, if we get caught up in that, I think we will have a tendency to become self-righteous and self-righteousness is really ugly so I don't think it's our righteousness and and part of that listen part of that is based on on the fact that hey we are not righteous in Isaiah 64 listen it says this but we are all like an unclean thing and all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags we all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Romans chapter three, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all come together to become unprofitable. There is no one who does good, uh, not one. So I think that's pretty definitive. And then people say, what about after you're born again? After you're born again, my Bible teaches me that I have the righteousness of Christ. That I have this imputed righteousness to me of Jesus Christ, and it's on me. Now, having said that, 
That's gonna affect how I live. If I really believe that's true, of course that's gonna affect how I live. Uh, Listen, I'm not gonna teach this and say, doesn't matter how you live or whether you tell the truth or not tell the truth or whether you're loyal or whether you sin a lot, you're okay. I'm not telling you that, but here's what I'm telling you. It doesn't depend on you, it depends on God. And we're in a spiritual battle. And in that spiritual battle, we need all the help we can get. It sort of cracks me up when some people think, well, I can take on the devil. Hmm. Might want to read your Bible. You know, number one, I don't think, and I may be overstepping, I don't think anybody in this room has ever had an encounter with the devil himself. I think, you know, listen, I think some demons maybe have hassled some of us and, and come along. I think the majority of the time it's just us. It's, 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 most of us just sin real easy and we don't need all that outside help. But the devil himself, listen, man, hey, if Michael the archangel had a little bit of difficulty and, and dealing with it, why would we think, oh, I could take out that guy? Be careful, that's a little self-righteous, right? So, Having said that, I believe, listen, I believe he's talking about the righteousness we receive from Christ. 2 Corinthians tells us this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for he made him who knew no sin uh, to be sin for us that we might become, listen, the righteousness of God in him. And in Philippians, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, listen carefully, not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That's what I think he's talking about. And listen, man, one of, I think one of the, the best defensive weapons is that shield, right? I think, you know, today we might say, put on your vest, right? If, you, if, you, if you're in law enforcement, different things, you got that vest you put on so bullets can't come in, so bullets can't penetrate. And, and so listen, man, he's saying, get that on and put on a righteousness of God. You see, because here's what I know, man. That enemy is going to be throwing stuff at you left and right. And one of the biggest things he throws is you are not worthy. Who do you think you are? Why would you even call? Do you ever hear this in your head? Why would you even call yourself a Christian? Look what you just did. Look what you just did last night on Buffalo Soldier, Pat. And then you're going to get up and you're going to teach people the Bible. Yeah, because it's not my righteousness. You see, so if we wear that and we put that on, and, and listen, man, and we're able then to face the enemy and be strong. When, whenever I think about this, especially this idea of, of the righteousness of God, I always think about it, and you can read it for homework, 1 Samuel 17, you might read 16, or you might read 15 too, 15, 16, 17, and then 18, because you gotta finish the story. But listen, every time I read it, I always think about, remember David? And his brothers went to war, and David stayed back, and then, and then his dad, and I always love it. The Bible says his dad sent him with cheeses. Like, we don't usually say that, right? We just say, with cheese. And every time I read that, I just snicker. I don't know why. I just think, cheeses. I've never heard plural cheese. It's cheeses. But he sent him with a bunch of cheeses for his brothers. And remember, he gets there, and his brothers, remember what his brothers said? Oh, you're the little boy with the cheeses. 
what are you doing up here? Who do you think you are? And, and, and David's like big eyes. Like, you know, I had this picture. What's the matter with you guys? Oh, that giant, he's hassling us. Oh, that giant, that's not a problem. Giant. And here's what I love, man. David's whole perspective is from God's perspective, not from the army's perspective, not from, you know, what's going on, not even his perspective. When they tell him about the giant, it's like David said, and you guys are scared? You're big soldiers. I'm just the cheese boy, you know? What's the deal? And then I love the whole idea. So then he goes to Saul, and, and he tells Saul, I'll go fight that giant. I'm not afraid of that. Now, some of that is, I think, I, I gotta be honest, I think some of that is youth and zeal from youth, Right? I'm not afraid. I've killed the lion. I've killed the bear. I've done these things. That giant's no big deal. And I'm thinking, dude, you might be overloading here. And he talks to Saul, and Saul's going, okay. Do you ever read that and think, man, Saul, dude, what is the matter with you? Like, why are you going to let that guy go fight that giant? Because if he loses, we all lose, right? Do you, ever, do you ever get the, the whole, how huge that was? Saul hadn't read the rest of it. Nobody knows the outcome yet and how huge that is. And, and, and then, you know, they have a little bit of discussion and David convinces them and Saul says, okay, you can go fight the giant, but take my armor. And every time I read that, it says, and David put on all that armor. And I kind of I liken it to this. And, and he's like, David, it's like, I always get a picture of a little guy with his dad's suit on, Right? And the, the, the pant legs are dragging because he doesn't fit them. And the sleeves are down. And this little guy, okay, I'm ready. And David's going, dude, this is not going to work. You want me to fight that giant? This stuff is too encumbering. And, right? and so, so you kind of get the idea. And then I love when he goes out. When David goes out to meet Goliath, that's my favorite scene. I just, you got to love it, right? They go out and they face each other. And and here's what I love, man. David goes, why? And before he goes, he tells everybody, why are you afraid? I always love this, this line. Why are you afraid of this uncircumcised fellow? What's the matter with you guys? And I think, wow, dude, you are brave. Talking to the soldiers like that. You know, I'm not afraid of him. And then he goes out and, and, and I was going to say Saul, but uh, Goliath. Goliath looks at him and he goes, what is this a boy coming at me with sticks? What do you think, I'm a dog or something? You're gonna beat me with sticks? What's the matter with this boy? Look at this guy. And then, he, and then I love it. He goes, I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna feed you to the birds of the air. And then I love David's answer. Hey, Goliath, great minds think alike. Because I just had that thought about your whole army. You know what? This day, your whole army are gonna become carcasses for the birds of the air. So we're on the same page here. And then he faces him and he says, he says, listen, I'm not coming to you in my own strength. I'm not coming to you as David the bear slayer or David the lion slayer. I'm coming to you, do you remember what he says? In the name of the Lord God of Israel. Yes! And I think, yes! I love the idea he picked up five stones. Why did he pick up five stones? Because Goliath had four brothers. Think about that. If you were ever in school and you fought with a family of brothers, if you started with the youngest one, you're going up the food chain. <laughs> you're going to fight them all. And I love the idea. Now, he didn't need them. One stone did it, right? But you know what? I don't even think that stone killed Goliath. 
I think God killed Goliath. So think about that in your life because, again, a lot of us like to talk about it and think about, hey, do you have a Goliath in your life? Is there, is there Goliath coming after you? And, and I kind of get that. But most of us, listen, here's what I found in my life at least. When the big Goliaths show up, I'm kind of ready for that, right? I'm kind of, because here's what I know. I can't beat them, so I need God. It's when the little things come, the little irritable things. I don't got that breastplate of righteousness. When the guy next to you is in a Corvette, broom, 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 you know, it's just like, why didn't I put on a breastplate of righteousness? Why didn't I do that at that moment? Why couldn't I do that? And then I have to tell you guys something. I'm going to get in trouble. I may be sleeping at the church tonight. But in my defense, my wife said, I pulled up behind the guy, and she goes, you're not going to get beside him? I go, nope. She goes, chicken. (laughs) Just so you know who's part of this deal. You guys know way too much of our life. (laughs) But man, here's what I thought. Why didn't I put on a breastplate of righteousness? Why didn't I cinch up that belt of truth? Why did I cave to all of that and the peer pressure from my wife and you know, (laughs) that stuff? And here's my point. Goliath, I think most of us can face with the Lord because, hey, we're trusting him. It's those little things that we need to make sure that breastplate's in place and well-worn and that we're ready for that battle. And here's the thing, man. You and I need to be people that we're gonna, okay, man, I got this. And we need to know, hey, Satan knows us better than we know ourselves. Do you know that Satan, what's one of his greatest strategies? I want us to think back. What's one of his greatest strategies? What did he do with Eve in the garden? And he's been doing it ever since then. What did he do? He questioned God's goodness. God doesn't love you because if God loved you, he would have never said that to you. And then obviously he lies and twists things and she buys into it and then Adam's just a dork and just eats of the fruit and just follows her. But think about that whole idea of just that subtlety and what's going on today, and you know, this I know has to do with the truth, but also has to do with the righteousness. And it just kind of creeps in. And then somebody comes along to you and they go, really, you can trust God? How about when something bad happens in your life? Why do you trust God? Why would a good God let that happen to you? Well, one of the problems is you shouldn't be thinking all about you. But the other problem is God is good whether things in your life are good or not, God is still good. It doesn't change who he is. And hey, people will do that all the time. Really, your God is so good. How about recently when, when somebody big falls? Just had Ravi Zacharias, right? Huge. And then what does the world do or what are your, your peers and some of your people or even some Christians? wow. I really thought God was real, but man, if Ravi Zacharias is doing that, how do I know that I'm not gonna, and then they start that whole thing. And then, and then pretty soon somebody goes, hey, I saw this guy, 
And he really helped me because he deconstructed what I believed so I could get all of that junk out of my life and I could look and see clearly now, little 60s song, and I could look and, and I could take care of that. Saints, that's a lie from the pit of hell. If you believe in Orthodox Christianity, if you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he came and he died on a cross and took your sins upon him and, and paid the penalty that you owed. He raised again on the third day and now he ever lives to make intercession on your behalf. If you grasp that orthodox belief system, do not let somebody come and tell you, hey, we need to deconstruct that because there's a few flaws going on. You need to run, you need to plug your ears, you need to be somebody that, no, I'm not gonna do that. Cinch up that belt of truth, put on that breastplate of righteousness and tell people, no, that is not, that is what you're doing is from the pit of hell. It's okay to tell people that. The good thing when you tell somebody that, they usually shut up. They go, I don't wanna talk to you anymore, I don't like you, I don't wanna be around you and you can go, good, because I don't wanna be around you either. But man, don't do it, but I'm seeing that. And listen, I'm watching people in the church being plucked out, plucked out, plucked out, plucked out. And generally it comes when they have a crisis of faith. Something happens in their life and they have this one question and instead of going to their pastor or instead of going to brothers and sisters who care for them and who are gonna love them, they go to this person who says, let me fix you. All you need to do is forget. So we're gonna, and, and here's what the thing, they sound so caring and so intellectual. It's gonna take a long time to deconstruct all of that, but we can work through it. Be careful so Paul says we need to take a stand and when you're standing man you cinch up that that belt don't let your your dress fall down and I know most of us aren't wearing a dress but you get my point I have to be honest when I think of this I think of and it's not so much our anymore but I think of the saggers right <laughs> guys who used to sag all the time and then, you know, their pants are down around their ankles. You know, and I'm thinking, uh, what I love is when they do something illegal and their pants are down around their knees and they're trying to run from the police. It's like, you dork, pull your pants up and run. Pull your pants up, tighten up that belt of truth and get going, man, because you're not going to make it. And I, that's the picture I get when I think of the belt of truth and cinching it up. I don't want to be running like, like that, so... <laughs> Get it up, cinch it up, and then put on that breastplate of righteousness. And understand your God is on your side. And he is going to defend you, and he's going to work in you, and he's going to do a phenomenal thing. And listen carefully. God is good all day, every day. My life may not be good, what I'm going through may be hard and difficult. It may even rock my world and hard for me to understand. But it doesn't mean God's given up on me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I want to close with this quote from R. Kent Hughes. He says, in conscious dependence, we must cultivate truth through reading his word. And then I love this. And truthing life in love. Don't you like that? Truthing life in love. 
That's what we need to be doing. In conscious dependence, we must revel in the breastplate of his righteousness and allow what clothes us to fill our souls so that we become instruments of a wonderful spiritual aggression. You see, I believe, listen, I believe the truth is God's word. I believe the righteousness is God's righteousness. But I also believe the more I believe that, the more that's going to impact how I live, what I say, and the way I act with other people. The less I believe that and start trusting in myself, the more trouble I'm going to get into. And again, I'm not saying, hey, you know, it's, it's God's righteousness so you can live you know, however you want. No, that's not. That's not biblical Christianity, and that's not biblical warfare. You got to allow that righteousness to influence your life so you're living righteously. So let's do that. Let's change the world, huh? So next time, we'll look at a couple more pieces of the armor. We kind of work through this. We'll get strong together, and check this out, man. We will have a victory in this world. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do thank you. I thank you for your word. And, and Lord, I just, again, I think about how important, I, I believe this beginning, I, well, I believe all these parts of the armor, the pieces of the army, all of them are important. But God, I thank you that as we can read this, we can understand, God, it's not us, it's not dependent on us, it's not who we are, it's who you are. And most importantly, God, that you have given us your word that we can depend on your word. So my brothers and sisters that are standing with me right now, Lord, we can read the rest. We can put on that, that, that uh, belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. We can put on the shoes, shot our feet with the gospel of peace. We can take up that shield of faith, put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. All of those things, Lord, we can walk in those things and we can glorify you with our lives here in this world. And Lord, again, when we put on that kind of armor, we're not gonna be battling against each other. We're gonna be battling against principalities and powers and the princes of darkness. So Lord, I pray for, for all of us that we would be men and women. We know we're in a war, but we would know our wars not against each other, but it's against that unseen enemy. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for just a couple minutes. And if you are here tonight, and you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, you've never asked him to forgive your sins, you know what, right now is the time to do it. You have an opportunity here tonight to call on the name of the Lord and to be saved. And, you know, again, I know that sounds simple, and from your perspective, it is. You're just gonna trust him. God did everything. So from God's perspective, it costs God everything. From your perspective, he's giving it to you. And he's allowing you, listen, to be set free from the bondage of sin. So if you, wanted, if you want that freedom tonight, all you have to do is call on his name. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a simple prayer. You're going to confess to God you're a sinner. You're going to tell God you're sorry for your sin. And you're going to ask him to forgive your sin and to come into your life. It's that simple. So, hey, if God's speaking to you tonight, say this prayer with me. If you're, if you're at home watching online, hey, you can say the prayer right where you're at. You don't have to be here. If you're backslidden, man, come home. Come back to Jesus. You're here tonight because God drew you. It's not a mistake. God drew you. He loves you. His arms are open wide. And so, hey, if you're then that person, I'm talking to you. Say this prayer with us. Come home.
Jesus loves you and his arms are open wide. Again, you can say it out loud or you can say it silent. Jesus, tonight I confess that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And Jesus, right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. And Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.